the initial attraction to Taffy Punk was that they do classical work, but they put their own spin on it and make it a really sort of contemporary, relevant kind of work. That's actor Tonya Beckman. She's a member of the Taffy Punk Theater Company. And this is Artworks, the weekly podcast produced by the National Endowment for the Arts. I'm Josephine Reed. Some of the best theater in Washington, D.C. is being created by a small theater ensemble that does a great deal with few resources, other than talent, determination, and passion. The Taffy Punk Theater Company is committed to making classical work exciting, meaningful, and affordable. You think Shakespeare's stuffy? Well, just head to a Taffy Punk bootleg production, the yearly event in which the company has one day to rehearse and perform one of Shakespeare's plays. And then there was the recent two-week run of The Tempest, produced as a Riot Girls project, in which all the roles were played by women. And just to keep everyone on their toes, that particular production had many in the cast playing two roles, including actor Tonya Beckman who doubled as Ariel and Caliban, and was equally convincing as both. This isn't played for laughs. The result is a refreshingly original look at The Tempest, as well as a spectacular evening in the theater for the price of a movie ticket. Here's the versatile and talented Tonya Beckman with some backstory about Taffy Punk. Taffy Punk started in, I think, 2004 with a group of friends who were dancers and musicians and actors who had all sort of grown up in D.C.'s punk world. And as they were getting older and developed other interests, they uh, started looking around at the art scene in D.C. and felt that one thing that was missing was affordable theater. And the other thing that was missing is something that sort of blended all three interests that they had, acting, music, and dance. And so they started out with one show at The Black Cat, and and it's grown from there. I've been with them since uh, 2009 and uh, became so. a company member not long after my first show with them. What was your first show? My very first show was Romeo and Juliet, one of the Riot Girls, Romeo and Juliet. I played Capulet. What fun. It was great. Explain what the Riot Girls are. Oh, okay. The Riot Girls is a series we do almost on a yearly basis of an all-female Shakespeare production. And it started with that production of Romeo and Juliet. And it came about because there was another theater in town, a larger theater, that decided to do an all-male Romeo and Juliet. And we just thought, well, that stinks because there's only two female roles in that play in the first place. And if you're an actress who does classical theater, it's so hard to get roles anyway because there are very few female roles. So we decided that we would do Romeo and Juliet at the same time as theirs. And we had sort of some dueling Romeo and Juliets. And it went really well, and we like to feel like we were the better production. <laughs> and uh, But it was fun, and the response was really interesting. Women were so excited to see this, and, and, and we've gone on to do several others. We do an, I think we've done one almost every year, and we get these wonderful groups. We get these groups of college students who are studying Shakespeare, but we also get these groups of women who are just friends and they want to go out and do something and this is one of the things they go do and they get to see themselves sort of reflected in in these roles that women don't 
really ever get the opportunity to play. And that's really exciting to see those people come in and see how they react to the shows. And, and we, as actors, enjoy it because we, we have all the same training that men do. We take all the same combat classes and, and all of that. And then you finish drama school and you never get a chance to use it and, until you do shows like this. Well, I saw The Tempest. Mm -hmm in which you played both Caliban and Ariel, mm -hmm. and we'll talk about that in a bit, but it's not a gimmick to have women play the roles. It, it gets treated that way. If you go back and you read reviews of all-female Shakespeare productions, not just ours, but in other places in the country, reviewers, especially male reviewers, tend to treat it as it's this... Isn't it cute? Isn't that cute? I didn't really believe it, but wasn't that a nice try? And it's not a gimmick. It's, it has a long historical tradition. And the reason that theaters will choose to do an all-male production is because of the historical tradition and, and trying to recreate the original practices that Shakespeare used. And, and there's value in that, and there's value in looking at that. But Sarah Bernhardt, Charlotte Cushman, all those great Shakespearean ladies from 200 years ago, they all played the male role. Charlotte Cushman played Romeo until she was in her 60s. So it's not a gimmick. It's been around a long, long time. Mm -hmm. and, and so there's something to be learned from it, I think. It must be so cool, if nothing else, just to be able to sink your teeth into these roles. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Actually, my experience with Right Girls is a little bit different because I've continued to play some of the female roles. But I have to say, just even in a female role, watching and playing opposite women in these roles and watching them just sort of fill up with the opportunity to play a role where you are not just reactive to the man who's in control, but you are the man in control is really a wonderful, empowering thing to be part of. I've talked to some of, some of the other actresses who said the lines can actually be very difficult to learn because Shakespeare's women tend to be silent for a long time or they'll be a fighter and then they go silent, you know. But when they speak, it's because they really have something that they've thought about that is important to say now. It's time to say it. So the female speeches, for the most part, tend to be these really well thought out arguments. They have considered the argument and then they're going to tell you. Whereas the men are thinking on their feet and they're making decisions on the fly. And so the thoughts are, can be more disjointed. And if you're not used to that because you're used to these well thought out arguments, it can actually be a little challenging to get your brain in the space so that you can learn them. It's, it, it's, it's really kind of interesting new way of looking at the text, I think. Speaking of challenging, let's go back to The Tempest, where you and a number of your colleagues mm -hmm. as well play dual roles. Yes. First, why the decision? I think, not to speak for the director, but <laughs> partly it always has to do with keeping the cast size small and not wanting to ask someone to spend every night with us and not give them a lot to do, but challenge the actors. But thematically and dramaturgically in the pieces, there's so many interesting parallels you can make by pairing up certain characters. And what does that say about the world you're creating when you have the same actors playing these two opposite ends of the spectrum? As an audience member, I thought it worked. Yeah. And my hat off to that fabulous ensemble. Yeah. And they were you, terrific. the physicality that actors had to take on as mm -hmm. they were 
approaching different roles. And I think Mm -hmm. for you playing Ariel and Caliban, talk about different ends of the spectrum in some ways. Explain just a little bit about those characters. Sure. Ariel is a a spirit, a sprite. And we, we decided Ariel was a girl for our purposes, is spoken about as though she, she is of the air. She is part of the air and the, the spirit of the island. But she's very powerful at the same time. And so she works for Prospero. He manages to enslave her, and she works for him and helps him create the magic of the island when, when he needs to do that. And he promises throughout the play, do this, help me achieve what I need to achieve, and I'll set you free. And then on the other end of the spectrum is Caliban, who is also a native of the island. He's the son of a a witch who lived on the island and then died, and Caliban was taken in early on by Prospero and then was rejected and is treated as a slave. And so he is also enslaved, but he has no power. And when Lise Bruneau, who directed it, approached me about it, she had already had this idea of pairing Ariel and Caliban together. And I just immediately loved that idea of air and earth and light and dark and bright and unhappy. And it just seemed like a wonderful opportunity to get to flip back and forth, playing two sides of the same coin all the time. And what is it that made Caliban become angry and bitter and resentful, but Ariel did not. It just raised all these really interesting questions. I asked you, and you very kindly agreed, to read a little bit mm-hmm. from The Tempest mm-hmm. as Ariel and as Caliban, yeah. so we get a sample of this. So, Great. Well, why don't I start with Ariel, her very first line, and it's just a short little speech where Prospero has called her to come forward. All hail, great master, grave sir, hail. I come to answer thy best pleasure, be it to fly, to swim, to dive into the fire, to ride on the curled clouds, to thy strong bidding, task Ariel and all her quality. And then a little Caliban, not his first speech, but in his first scene when we're first introduced to him, fighting with, with Prosper about why he is enslaved. This island's mine by Sycorax, my mother, which thou takest from me. When thou camest first, thou strokest me and made much of me, wouldst give me water with berries in't, and teach me how to name the bigger light and how the less that burn by day and night. And then I loved thee and showed thee all the qualities of the isle, the fresh springs, brine pits, barren place, and fertile. Cursed be I that did so. All the charms of Sycorax, toads, beetles, bats light on you. For I am all the subjects that you have, which first was mine own king. And here you sty me in this hard rock whilst you do keep from me the rest of the island. That's so wonderful. (laughs) And tell me what backstage was like as you were changing from one to the other, because it was psychological and it was physical and it was emotional changing, I mean. Yeah, yeah. They were some very fast costume changes between these two characters. Um, I would always complain backstage that when I had a long break, I just got to sit there in one costume, but if I had to change, I had 30 seconds to do it. We have very small backstage, so everybody has to help each other through quick changes, sometimes just by not being in the way, because someone will exit stage right and tear across the crossover, which is also our dressing room, and have to enter in a new costume stage left. So it's a team effort 
But our designer was very helpful in that my Caliban costume just went straight over my Ariel costume. I didn't have to take one off and put the other on. Caliban was sort of a, a burlap sack and, uh, and then a wig. But it, it was fast. And at first, I was a little flustered. And I was like, how am I going to like center myself that's, to make this entrance? That's exactly was what I was going to ask you. Actually, not being able to do that helped. Helped in the sort of chaoticness of Caliban and the anger and the just the wanting to rage that that character has. Having to make an entrance before you're quite ready to do it actually helped get in that emotional place. Interesting. Which, you know, I probably, if you had asked me before we started, I could have done without. But but now looking back on it, I'm like, oh, I was that was actually really a little stroke of fate and and really helped in the long run. Did you always want to act? No. As a child, I was so shy. I was a terribly shy child. All I wanted to do as a kid was read. But I got into acting in high school. I think I took my first acting class as a freshman in high school because it was required to take an arts class. And I grew up in a family, my extended family. There's doctors and nurses and engineers, but no artists. I did not grow up with the arts being something that was really encouraged in any way. It wasn't discouraged, but it just wasn't a part of our lives. So in that first acting class, it was this whole new world. But it was also this safe place. And it was the first place I'd ever found to express something, express emotions, express how I felt in a way that felt safe and protected and where there was no judgment. And in fact, to go crazy was a good thing. And so I was really drawn to that as a shy teenager. And and it it helped me come out of my shell, absolutely. I think I'm still, I would call myself a reserved person. I'm not super gregarious, but but, uh, that painful shyness that I used to have, I think I got rid of it because of the arts, yeah. You went to graduate school. You got an MFA mm-hmm. in Ohio. In, in Ohio, yeah. What made you decide to come to Washington, D.C.? Oh, it was an accident, really. I'd been living and working in Chicago. And in a previous marriage, my ex-husband wanted to come to grad school here for a one-year program. Got here and went, wow, there's a lot of theater here. I had done no research. I knew nothing when I got here and started auditioning, started working right away, was very welcomed by the theater community here. It's a, it's a wonderful, big but close-knit community that everybody I met was so welcoming and started working. And at the end of that year, said to my, my ex-husband, oh, I'm staying. You do what you need to do, but I'm staying. <laughs> now, what attracted you to Taffety Punk? The initial attraction to Taffety Punk was that they do classical work. That's what I trained in. That's what I always wanted to do ever since I was, you know, in college and taking my first Shakespeare class. I, I always connected with it and found it challenging and exciting and really wanted to focus on that. And Taffety Punk, that's what they do, but they put their own spin on it and make it a really sort of contemporary, relevant kind of work because um, there are a lot of Shakespeare companies out there, and a lot of them, it's like going to a museum in some ways where you're, you're seeing Elizabethan clothes and an Elizabethan idea of what it might have been performed like. And that's great, and that's fun to do sometimes, but finding out what makes us love Shakespeare today 
by delving into these plays as our modern selves has always been really interesting to me and that's something Taffy Punk does. And I also really support and really believe in the mission to make the arts affordable to everybody, no matter what your income level is. Yeah, talk about that, because that's a guiding philosophy of it Taffety is, Punk. It is. We purposely will keep our budgets low for our designers, and um, we try to pay everybody a salary as best that we can, but in terms of production budget, budgets, we'll keep them purposefully low in order to challenge ourselves to be more creative. And, and that also helps us keep the ticket prices low, and we, we try to keep them as low as possible. We don't feel that it should ever cost more to go see a play than it does to see a movie, and that's, that's really important to us. And we are a company in residence at Capitol Hill Arts Workshop, and that's their same philosophy, too. They, they teach a variety of classes to kids and adults, all kinds of, from visual arts to performance to, to music, everything, and they don't turn kids away because they can't pay. They find a way to get a kid in a class. And those two philosophies really line up well. And, and so it's been a great partnership in that way. It's a good home. Yeah, it's a great home. Yeah, they're very good to us. Tell me about the experience of working with an ensemble as opposed to what I think most actors, mm -hmm. their experiences are quite different. They're jumping to, from company they're to company. Exactly. Yeah. We do have a small ensemble of actors that we work together all the time, but we're also free to go to other companies, which I think is very good for us. The, the, the great thing about an ensemble is that you develop a shorthand and you, you, you know each other so well that I can look at Esther Williamson, who's another actor in the company, and go, oh, that's where she is in the process and I need to leave her alone for a few more days and then I can talk to her about such and such or, or something like that. And you develop a shorthand and a, a really quick way of working because you, you are so used to each other and you know how each individual person works and fits into the whole. But we all also do a lot of work outside the company as well and I think that's really good for us because it brings new perspectives in and and we don't get bored with each other. So when we do come together to do a show, we're all really happy to be working together again. How many shows does Taffety Punk do a year, more or less? It depends. Typically three, and then we'll have some small events as well. We do a, uh, what we call the bootleg Shakespeare every year, which is a one-day unrehearsed production. And we do that. try to do that every summer. And then we'll do some smaller events uh, as we get invited to to do them in small companies. And we'll have a few readings and things that we're developing that aren't quite ready yet, but we want to show an audience and see where it stands. That yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. How does an ensemble work in practice? How do you make decisions? Okay, we're going to do this, and this person <laughs> will direct. And how does how does that whole thing morph? Well, we have a very wonderful leader in Marcus Kidd who sort of takes on the organizational aspect of a lot of that. And I think he's fostered a wonderful environment in that I think we all feel free to say, hey, Marcus, I really want to do Two Gentlemen of Verona sometime. Can we make that happen? And he puts it on a list and eventually we get to it. I Just last year we did a, a rep of two shows about writers and those were scripts I had brought five years ago and just said, these are great. 
And then I forgot all about them. <laughs> and then last year they ended up on our season in a rep together, which was Marcus's idea. And they went together beautifully and it was great. And I had totally forgotten that I was the one who had brought them to the company in the first place. So I think once something gets on the list of things we want, we want to try to work on at some point, we all kind of forget whose projects they were and just sort of jump in together and, and own them together. And is there a tension sometimes between the ensemble and an individual? Well, I'm sure we all get mad at each other from time to time. <laughs> I think we all have such different strengths and weaknesses that we all have our thing that we bring to the table. And, and I always feel like that's respected. Even if I, I don't agree with someone's choice or I don't want to be involved in a certain project or whatever it may be, I don't know that I have ever really felt a tension between what this person's agenda is and what mine is because I think the overall agenda we're all in agreement about. I'm always curious about this because <laughs> actors obviously also go to the theater a lot. Yeah, yeah. And because you like classical theater, I assume you also see classical theater mm -hmm. a lot. Has there been a time when you remember being so moved by a role as an audience member and then you're able to play it on stage? Oh, yeah. And what is that like for you? Oh, gosh. I can remember very early in my career seeing this amazing production of The Crucible. Now, whether I would think it was amazing now, I don't know. But at the time, I was blown away by this production of The Crucible. I found it terrifying. And the woman who played Elizabeth Proctor, its you go to the theater sometimes and, and you get inspired because it's so good. And then sometimes you despair because you feel like you'll never accomplish that, you know. And I remember thinking that about her and also the woman playing Abigail. It just made me want to play the role of Abigail so much. And then when I got into grad school, I got the opportunity to play it in a classroom. I, yeah, I, I can just remember feeling like I... Not that I wanted to recreate what I saw, but like those images, those early experiences of great theater just never, they never leave you and they inform what you do, you know, even when you don't even realize it, you know. And uh, a couple years ago, I had been cast in two productions of Twelfth Night back to back, one at Taffety Punk and one at The Folger. And I remember going into that second production going, should I have been trying to steal what the other girl was doing in the other production? And I think it was just there. It's It like informed what I was doing without me even having to try. Were you playing the same role in I both? was playing two different roles. So I w was trying to like think, well, I'm playing Mariah this time. Should I have been paying more attention to what Mariah was doing last time so I can steal from it? You know, But I think I was actually very informed by that other actress's performance, even though they were two very different productions with very different styles and doing what she did wouldn't have worked. But knowing how she came to her choices helped me in making my choices, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. It does, in a yeah. way, yeah. yeah. It, if you think of a character as a sculpture, it's just moving around it and seeing yeah. it from a different perspective. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. That's a great way to look at it. I can imagine being up on stage and performing in a role that was so moving at, at one yeah. point, and there just must be a physical feeling that comes over you as yeah. like, oh my God, I'm actually doing this. Yeah, there are, there are these, these sort of out-of-body experiences sometimes. One of the wonderful things about working in classical theater is that you're part of such an amazing tradition. 
And I always feel that when I'm playing a classical role that many, many people have done this before me and I'm just adding on to that. And, and that feels like a huge honor and responsibility to me that, that I love being part of. And then there's those moments on stage where you realize that everyone in this room is listening so hard to what I have to say right now. And it's an amazing feeling when you realize that the audience is dead silent or or you're making them laugh really loudly. You know, it's 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 a powerful feeling. It really, really is. It's, and, and it's ad- addictive. And I think it's why we do this thing. You know, were you scared the first time you got up on the stage? Oh, yeah, I can remember. I don't remember the play. It was something we were doing like in, in high school. And it was the first time I was ever in, in an actual play. And and hearing my voice quiver as I was speaking because I was so nervous. But that eventually goes away. You know, like I, I don't get so nervous like that anymore. I get excited. And I think one of the keys to not having stage fright is being able to identify the difference between being nervous and being excited. I, I get nervous when I have family or close friends in the audience. Critics don't make me so nervous anymore. I got used to that, but family and friends make me nervous. <laughs> I just want to speak for a moment about arts education and how vital that is. I mean, in your case, acting class, it literally was a life-changing experience for you. Oh, yeah. If I had not found theater, I don't think I would be living the same kind of life with as many wonderful people in it, for example, because I just never would have come out of my shell. I never would have found the confidence without it to know that my voice matters too and that I have things to say. And I just don't think I would have found it without high school acting class. I also think my very early experiences as a high school student seeing theater were hugely, hugely transformative. I remember the production I saw that made me want to be an actor when I was for a job for my for a living was when I was uh, a junior in high school and we went on a school field trip to the Milwaukee Rep to see a production of Tartuffe and I was floored by this product it was so funny and because the play is a satire about religious hypocrisy there was something sort of dangerous about it and I just felt that sort of danger and that you can change people's minds about the world with this stuff. And that felt so powerful and dangerous to me. And I just had to be part of that. And, uh, and I don't think I, I necessarily would have discovered what an important and powerful thing that is without going to see that play that day. Tonya, what's next? What's next on your agenda? For me personally, um, I just jumped into a production of Passion Play at Forum Theater, um, very late in the process, taking over for someone else who had to leave the production. And that opens officially on the 22nd, but we start performances on the 19th. Of March. Of March, and it runs through mid-April. And then over at Taffety Punk, we are doing the first quarto of Hamlet, an eight-actor version of this very wild and weird script of Hamlet, and that will be in May. Okay, finally, the burning question. Where did the name Taffety Punk come from? Taffety Punk comes from All's Well That Ends Well, talking 
I can't remember the context anymore. I haven't read it in a while, but re referring to someone as a well-dressed whore. And when it was time to choose a company name, officially pull a company together and choose a name, they thought that that sort of described actors pretty well. Because <laughs> we'll go all over and we'll do whatever, but we want a nice costume, right? <laughs> Tonya, thank you so much. Thank it was you. such a pleasure. Thank you. You're welcome. That's actor Tonya Beckman. She's a core member of the Taffety Punk Theater Company. You can find out what the theater company is up to at taffetypunk.com. You've been listening to Artworks, produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. I'm Josephine Reed. Thanks for listening. <laughs>